now we're going to get into our lesson for today, and we're going to jump right in. We've got quite a bit, I think, to cover today, some really uh, important things, so don't want to waste any time. But I want to um, make sure we get everybody up to speed. We are really at the tail end of our series called How to Read the Bible. And since we're kind of getting towards the end of things, I wanted to do a quick reset to just make sure that we're all on the same page. And so when we started this in week one, uh, one of the first things we talked about is the idea of paradigms. And so what we said is a paradigm is simply the, the framework or the lens that you look through to understand anything, right? We all have different paradigms. One of the common examples is optimist or pessimist. So if you have an optimistic paradigm, then you're going to view everything through a, a kind of a positive lens, cup half full type of, of perspective. Where's, where's the optimist? Yeah, raise your in hand. In the room. Show Come yourself. on, let's see. Yeah. All right, we're doing good. All right. On the flip side, yeah. we have a pessimistic paradigm. Mm -hmm. and so, Pessimist? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so typically, you're going to be a little bit more skeptical, maybe even lean a little bit more negative. And, and listen, that impacts how you live your life. That impacts how you understand everything, how you understand relationships, how you understand communication. Yeah. Everything is impacted through that paradigm. So what we've said is that every one of us has a paradigm for how we read scripture, how we understand it. Sure. Um, some of us have a paradigm that scripture is the word of God. And, and so every word of it, you read it, you apply it, that's it, don't ask questions. And that's the paradigm. Some of us have a paradigm where, where there's some good stuff in there, but then kind of some of the other stuff we'll just avoid and we'll kind of move to the side. Some of us have a paradigm where all of it is nonsense and it's not relevant for my life. It's a, a bunch of ancient things that don't apply to me anymore. And, and so each one of us views it differently. Now that is informed by our experiences, by the things that we've been taught, oftentimes by our traditions, all of that is shaping and forming our paradigm. So what we've said from the beginning is what we desire to do is collectively to, to get to a good and right paradigm of how to enter into reading scripture. And really what we wanna do is, is kind of recover the original intended paradigm. So like as the biblical writers were writing this and composing this and compiling this, what were their expectations for the audience, yep. for the readers of this? We wanna recover that so we can understand it and be led to wisdom. So what we've done each week is we've gone through some principles that are, are trying to frame up that good and right paradigm. And so if you've missed any of those, I highly encourage you go to our YouTube channel, make sure you get into each one of them because they're, they're very important. We're kind of creating a tower here, yeah. so to speak. So I wanna make sure you get all of it. But just as a quick example, a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, scripture is meditation literature. Mm -hmm. What we mean by that is it was written in a way to where the expectation is that you read and reread and reread and meditate and ponder and think about these things over the course of your lifetime. And through that process is how you are shaped and formed in the way that God desires. So scripture is not written in a way to where you're expected to go and read through it one time, download the facts, and then apply that to your life. That's not the paradigm we should be reading through. That's a very modern Western paradigm. So we gotta recover that original idea so that we can walk in it the way that, that God ultimately desires. Yeah, I think with that approach too, a lot of times we do get to that place where um, we'll read something and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. You know, I don't know what to do with that. I'm just gonna blow by that and keep on moving, keep on moving. Um, but, but to meditate on that and to ponder that and what, okay, that's, I'm not quite understanding that, so let me sit on that. 
Mm-hmm. Let me not just blow by it. There's something that, that God's trying to teach me through this. There's some sort yeah. of wisdom. There's something in there. So let me, okay, I don't know what to do with that right now, yeah. but I'm going to continue to meditate on it. Yeah, I'm going to take a long walk, going to drink a cup of coffee, whatever. I'm just going to think about it. Yeah. And, and that's the approach that we should be taking. So that kind of gets us up to speed to today. And today is part two of what we started last week. Last mm-hmm. week, we talked about how the Bible is contextual literature meaning it's vital for us to understand the context. So we have particular writers writing to a particular audience in a time, in a place, in a setting. All of that frames up what they're trying to communicate. And we talked about how that's normal in any type of communication. Mm -hmm. Context is key for, for any communication, but we have to understand that as it relates to the Bible. So last week, we really dug into the language, Mm -hmm. and in particular, words, because that's what we have with the Bible, is a big collection of words. So how did these ancient biblical writers understand words? What did they mean to them so that we can then recover that original intent? And we talked about how that can be pretty complex because we've got an ancient Hebrew-Greek language translated to a modern English language. So there are a lot of things that that we have to do to to make sure we get a good and right context. But today, we're going to be getting into a, a different piece of context. And in particular, what we're gonna talk about is cultural context. And uh, so one of the things we have to understand is culture is so very important to our paradigms. The, the way that we've grown up, we have certain assumptions and certain expectations that we have simply based on whatever culture we've grown up in. And we forget until like we go overseas somewhere that, oh, they're in a completely different culture, completely different set of assumptions and expectations. And then we read about history and we're like, oh, well, they have a completely different culture. And so we have to right size this in order to understand what we're reading in the Bible. I feel like as you're explaining that, um, I feel like when it comes to the Bible, I feel like I'm, I need to go back to like four years old. You know, like you were talking about words, and I kind of snickered because, like, words. How, how elementary can we get here? Words. And yet, like, I need to go back to kindergarten to begin to learn what are these words really meaning right now? And in the same way, culture, right? Mm-hmm. We learn so much as those really toddlers. I mean, just learning what's going on, how this thing works. How does this culture work? And so I feel like uh, that's kind of where we're at now. We're going to go through some different, some different concepts, some different ideas of that culture, yeah. and some of the differences that we see then versus now. Right. Um, now, admittedly, we're not saying that we should just inherit all of these. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go through them. We're going to call out some of the differences. Some of it is uh, things that we just need to make sure we're understanding so that as we read, we are understanding that culture and where it's coming from. Many times, you know, this is why when we read something in Scripture, we, we throw up our guard like, whoa, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't seem right. Well, it's because the culture then was a lot different than yeah. it is now. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we're not saying that in, in many of those instances that we should inherit that. And now, there are things from their culture that I think we really should consider. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, as they approached things, as they saw things, how they operated in their culture, I think there's a lot of good stuff to consider too. Yeah. So uh, essentially what we're saying is the, the ancient Eastern biblical culture is not holy unto itself. It's simply the vehicle that God chose to communicate to us. Mm-hmm. So we have to go in and understand that vehicle and how it's being communicated 
doesn't necessarily mean we have to adopt everything. Right. And so we wanna hold those tensions in place and hopefully we can call some of those things out as we move through. But when we talk about differences in culture, just wanted to give like a really high level example before we dig in. So for instance, really simple, but if I were to say to you, he was a good dog, that could mean a variety of different things depending on what culture you're a part of, right? For us, if I say he's a good dog, that probably means he's a good companion, right? He's somebody who's been a good friend to me, right? It's a really deep and and this beautiful thing. For other cultures, that might mean uh, he was a good worker, so uh, a sheep herder or a hunter, whatever, he does good work. And then for other cultures, that could mean he was a good meal, right? Dinner was good tonight. That could mean a variety of different things. Now you snicker when I say that, but if I say that in a totally different place, it's very, very serious, right? That, yeah. That's totally normal to You me. did throw me big time right there. Yeah. So the bottom line is just in that one example, you can see from culture to culture, mm-hmm. the different assumptions and the different expectations that we have. So we're gonna try to break these things apart and, and try to see how we see things versus mm-hmm. how they see things. Where do we need to bridge the gap so that we can understand scripture? I was thinking of, yeah, that's my, good, my, my dog, you know, like my, oh, you no, know what I mean? That's not okay. where I went with right. that. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. We ready? Let's, let's jump in. So we're gonna go through uh, three primary cultural differences. And I think these are really gonna lay the foundation as we go into scripture. So the first one we're gonna talk about is naturalism versus spiritualism, okay? And this is one we actually briefly mentioned a few weeks ago, but we wanna dig into it today. And so here's the, the concept. In our modern Western culture or, or paradigm, we see through a very naturalistic viewpoint of the world. That is, when you talk to a lot of people, they would say, what is ultimately real is what is physical and material, right? So anything that I can touch and feel or or explain, anything in the natural world, that is what is real. Anything outside of that is not real. So I'm sure we all have people in our lives where if we talk about spiritual things or certainly as God being the ultimate spiritual being, they would say that is not real real. And this is actually kind of a a modern construct over the last few hundred years, but we see this uh, in a lot of viewpoints in our modern West. Now, if we don't have that exaggerated of a viewpoint, we're, we're still impacted by this. Because even if we say we believe in spiritual things, what we likely think is, well, that's separate from the natural physical world. So even if there is a God, he must be other than what is physical, material, natural. We create these distinctions. This is why we have language like natural versus supernatural. God must be supernatural. He must be other than the physical, natural world. And so we draw these lines of distinction and that impacts a lot of the way that we think, even when it comes to the church and how we worship and how we pray, it very much impacts our perspective. Now, what the biblical writers would say is something very different. Mm -hmm. They would say what is spiritual is what is real. That is what is ultimate. But we encounter and we experience the spiritual through the material world. So the physical world is, is a vehicle for spiritual things. So they do not draw those lines of distinction. They hold the two together. And so what's interesting is as you read through scripture, we see like how the people respond to lightning or thunder or wind or clouds. They, they feel like God is communicating through those things. He's trying to show them something through the material physical world. And so they hold these distinctions in place. And that very much frames up how they understand creation and how they understand themselves as a result of that. I'm thinking of like examples of that right off the top. Like uh, from the very beginning, God breathed. Now, 
was was that material? No. But how did that manifest? It was it was material, right? Um, you know, where where we see the first human, you know, uh, through his breath. Um, there was as as we were talking about this yesterday. Another example that jumped to mind um, was Second uh, Kings, when Elisha is uh, with his servant, and they're like pigeonholed. Like the the servant is freaking out because the enemy is all around them, and he thinks it's it's doomsday. It's it's over, uh, and Elisha prays, open his eyes. And he goes out and he tells him to look again. And you see, he sees God's army, spiritual army, that's surrounding the enemy, their enemy. Um, and so we see that in, in many, many examples. But um, Well, let's go back to the breath one, because yeah. this is an important one. So for the record, in Hebrew and in Greek, the word for spirit is the same word for breath. So um, breathing, they would say, is a, an inherently spiritual thing. So... If we talk about breathing, we probably use words like oxygen or like lungs. And they would say, no, that is the spirit of God animating your life. Now, um, can both of those things be true? Yes, absolutely. It just depends on how you're looking at it. We look at it from a very material place. They look at it from a very spiritual place. So that shows you the distinction. We talked a few weeks ago about how the work of the spirit, once human beings come into creation, is always in and through human beings. Right. So we see spiritual at work in and through material, physical yeah. things. Mm-hmm. So all, the, the two are always working in tandem together, and, and that creates a, a particular worldview. Yeah, I mean, I th- I'm even thinking about some of the amazing testimonies, you know, that are sitting in the room here now, uh, where the Spirit led, the Spirit spoke, the Spirit prompted, and then in a very material way, you know, they were able to act on that and see God move through it. But it all started in a spiritual way. Yeah. And when I say this created a worldview, like this is important to understand. And I think, I think this is really cool. But when we talk about the ancient biblical people, like if they looked out onto a field and they saw like an antelope grazing and eating from the field, somewhere almost subliminally, they pictured like God's hand was feeding one of his creatures, was feeding one of his creations. If rain began to fall from the sky, they would see that as a direct provision from God. He is giving us what we need for our livelihoods to stay alive. Everything was like so connected to the spiritual place. And that creates such a beautiful understanding of the world so that things aren't just things. There's something deeply spiritual that's happening. This is um, one of the reasons why like communion is really powerful in scripture. And oftentimes we miss out on it because in scripture, communion is not just a physical thing. We're not just eating. We're not just drinking. There's something deeply spiritual that's happening. We're not just remembering what Christ has done. We're somehow partaking in that. We're experiencing that. We're conforming to that. There's something that's happening at a different level that's still connected to the physical world. Even the concept of marriage, this is a big one. In scripture is a deeply spiritual thing. The two become one and are not to be broken apart. Today, we just see that as like a physical material relationship. There was a deep covenant mm. as it related to the scriptural idea of marriage. And it's something that kind of goes right over our heads. Yeah, I just think of, you know, again, we're talking about our view, our perspective, our paradigm, right? And um, how vastly different it is to first see the material world, right? Like I think of times where I was so cynical because I thought, well, yeah, it's like, it's oxygen, you know, like it's, it's obvious, it's logical, like, yeah, 
But to, to flip that and how we limit how we limit God so much, I think, by having the material yeah. frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, because then we say, well, that's just logical or that's not logical. So I'm not, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But if you first see the spiritual as that primary way of viewing things, your faith Mm-hmm. For me, anyway, just thinking through that, it, it is so much grander, so much bigger mm-hmm. when I think of, no, it's not limited to just the material of what I see, mm-hmm. but there, I see it first in the spiritual to where um, I know that his army is surrounding all the material that I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a really, really different view of things. Yeah. So what's interesting is as we have uh, gone through more and more scientific advancements, what has happened is we've become more and more dualistic. We've began to pull apart the physical from the spiritual. And so what's interesting is what's happened is the more we know, the less we ascribe that to God. Yeah. And then the things that we still don't know about, the things that are still kind of mysterious, we're like, okay, well, that's God. Well, we've created a false dichotomy because just because we know more and more about creation and, and how it evolves and how it grows doesn't mean that we're t- God is taken out of that at all. We're actually learning about how God creates and how he evolves and how he grows things. And so we we need to make sure we hold that tension in place. That's why we have scriptures like, for in him, we live and move and have our being. Or or, through him, all things are held together. He is the creator and sustainer of all of these things. So as we learn more and more about the physical material realm, doesn't take anything away from the spiritual and who God is. Yeah, it, it proves it. More yeah. so, you know, that's, if we view it from how it proves it is, mm-hmm. is a big difference. If you just, like, I've heard so many cool, amazing things of, like, the human anatomy. Mm-hmm. And then how it ties to God is, it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it proves that uh, there's spiritual, proves that it's, he's God. Yeah. So, as you guys are probably picking up, this is one of those cultural differences that I think we need to be serious about challenging mm-hmm. our current perspective through. This is one, I'm not necessarily saying we should like holistically adopt this, although I don't think that would be a bad thing, but I think we need to seriously challenge the way that we think through this. Because I mentioned earlier, man, this impacts the way that we worship. If we think of God as separate from us and far away somewhere, what does that mean for our worship? What does that mean for our prayer life? What does that mean for our relationship with him on a day-to-day basis? But if we see him all around us, leading us and guiding us and surrounding us at all times, suddenly that makes us who we are supposed to be, which is led by God, servants of God, et cetera. Agreed, agreed. All right, let's move into the next one. All right. So uh, this is a, a really big one, maybe the biggest one we're going to talk about today because it shapes and forms so much of the cultural difference that we have, and that is individualism versus collectivism, all right? This is a big one, and it has a lot of offshoots that we could talk about. Maybe we'll get into some of that, but let's, um, let's suffice it this way. When we look through a modern Western lens, and, and we just think about this for a minute, the most important thing to us is the individual, That's the most important entity is the individual. So we prioritize things like self-importance, self-esteem, self-reliance. We we prioritize things like autonomy. We should each have our own choices and be able to, to, to make our own decisions, right? We very much value. So like one of our highest virtues is that we are to be true to ourselves. We are what matters most. So I'm gonna do me, right? And that's what matters most to me. 
And so as you take that down the line, what happens is we very much value being unique in our culture and being independent, right? We don't wanna just go with the crowd, right? That's not who, we're supposed to stand out and be different from everybody else. And that's a very individualistic lens that we look through. And just think about how that kind of displays in your life. It's very, very clear how, how much we hold to this. In an ancient culture or even just Eastern culture still today, it's very, very different. The most important entity for them is the community. Is, is the group, right, the, the, the tribe. That is what is most important. So they prioritize things like harmony and, and unity or group development and progression. It's always about how the group is, is growing together. They see their identity within the group, okay? So like one of their highest uh, virtues is fulfilling their place within their community. That's ultimately their life's purpose, right? There's a big hole within the community. That's my job to fulfill that. That is why I am here. And so they actually value things like accountability, holding one another accountable because ultimately together, we are the identity of the community. Um, they prioritize things like conformity. They actually would say, you should conform to the group. We should be one, we should be united. So interestingly, they promote things like peer pressure. Peer pressure is a good thing to them because your peers should pressure you in the right direction. And you should conform to that because we are all one. So think about how different of a lens that is to look through. This is one of the main reasons we misunderstand a lot in scripture because we see through a very individualistic lens when in reality, they're, they're often talking about the community. Yeah, I mean, I think the first church in Acts is a big, big one that we see. You know, and we talk about that quite a bit because how much we prioritize community. Um, but man, the first church we see that they, they all came together uh, immediately, they, they all came together. They were living together. Uh, it said that no one had a need because everyone would pitch in to ensure mm -hmm. that everyone was taken care of. Mm -hmm. uh, just vastly different, right? Like, yeah. you know, I, I've thought a lot about, like, making sure that my family's good and making sure that I'm good. And, and so what that's caused me to do at times is to have a filter that first says, even even if it's, even if it's God telling me to do something, mm -hmm. I first have a filter that says, okay, hold up. Am I good? Mm -hmm. right. All right. Okay, I I'm good. I can do this. Mm -hmm. Or am I good? No, no, I we got this, that, and the other we got to take care of. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Right? And so there's that filter that we have yeah. that we, we just need to consider, right? It's a, that's a really, really important one because we see all throughout scripture how much they talk about the poor and the needy and the oppressed. And that goes right over our heads because the truth is, is through our individualistic lens, if you're driving down the road and you see somebody on the side of the road who needs money or has a cardboard cutout or whatever, um, ho hopefully you have some empathy for them, right? But, but even if you give something to them or you don't, you're likely thinking somewhere in your head, man, I hope they can dig themselves out of this, right? Hope they can pull up their bootstraps and, and get going. Well, that would not have been the approach through an ancient Eastern lens because if there's somebody who's poor or needy on the street side, that is my identity on the street side. That is somebody who is reflective of my community. Yeah, wow. So if we are oppressing people, that's, that's a reflection of who we are as mm. a unit. So it wasn't just, oh, I'm gonna help somebody. It was incumbent upon me to help my brother who is in need because he is my family. So that's a, a totally different way of yeah. viewing the world and how we exist within it. I need to sit on that for a second. That's, that's uh, really, really good. Yeah, I, you know, I think... Um, 
I think this is, you know, I, I shared with you, I have uh, a buddy of mine played basketball with. He's just like this um, awesome dude. Like he just, he walks in the gym and like lights up the gym, you know. He's, he's giving everyone, you know, high fives and dabbing them up and where, you know, everyone loves him because he's infectious in that way. And um, there's one, one morning uh, he came in, and I could tell, like, something was off. And so we were sitting, you know, on the sideline, and and I just got to chat. Hey, man, how you doing, you know? And I could tell he just, something was off. I was like, hey, dude, are you all right? And he's like, Devin, he, he uh, was living in uh, East St. Louis, and he's like, man, I got I to gotta move, man. I, I got to get out of where I'm at. And um, so my, like, financial coach self started like, you know, going and uh, want to help. I want to help. You know, how can I help? How can I help? And so as I'm talking to him about his situation, he, he kind of, he's taking it in and then he says, yeah, but I got to make sure, I got to make sure my mom's good. I got to make sure, you know, my family's good. We, we got to, we got to, we got to move. We got to get out of the situation that we're in. Now, in that moment, I thought, wow, that's, that's a different perspective mm-hmm. than what I have. Mm-hmm. And as I shared it with others, they almost were like getting on to him for having that perspective. And so I'm, I'm like, whoa, like I thought this was like a really beautiful perspective mm-hmm. that he was having. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, not to say that, again, we're, we're not saying that we have to inherit all these things, but these are things we want to consider of, yeah. you know, how do we, how can this make us more like God ultimately, Yeah. right? How can we be more like him? And so um, we see throughout scripture when in the Old Testament, because I'm ripping through that right now, um, you know, it's like, as soon as someone messed up and wasn't obeying God, the, all the people are like, whoa, we got to get this right. We got to correct mm-hmm. this because it's all of us. It's reflective. That, of yes, they yeah. got to take care of it. We see this uh, with Daniel, which by the way, Daniel is like one of the only biblical characters who has an entirely positive arc. So he's somebody that we should very much look to. But what's interesting is in his prayers, he would repent for the collective. Um, he, he would even take responsibility for what the community is, is doing wrong or even what his ancestors did wrong. Like he saw it as one collective group and is praying on their behalf. It's yeah. beautiful. Think about the Lord's Prayer, how, how Jesus teaches us to pray. Our heavenly father, right? Give us this day our daily. All of it is in the plural. All of it is about the community. That's very much the lens we're, we're supposed to look through. So interestingly enough, in our English language, when we say the word you, um, that is always in a singular form. I'm talking to you. We don't, we don't you, use you in a plural form. Um, in the South, they'll say y'all, right? And that they mean plural. Or I often catch myself saying you guys. That's how I use it in the plural. In the Greek, the, they had a word you that meant plural and a word that meant singular. And so when it's translated to English, it's really difficult for us because we don't know which one it is, right? So like, interestingly enough, let's look at some examples. Philippians 1.6, it's a popular one that everybody knows. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's a plural you. He's talking about the community. He who began a good work within you guys mm. is going to bring it to completion. That may not be relevant to every individual, but it's relevant to the community. 
We see this uh, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. This is a really interesting one. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? So the you is plural. He's talking about the community. The temple is singular. So you guys together make up one unified temple. So it's not a bunch of temples running around. One unified collective, you're a sacrifice to God. I want you to make sure you're taking care of yourselves in this way. So as we're reading through scripture, we have to take a special note of what exactly they're talking about in those types of ways. That's really good. Uh, I, think, I think some of the ways that maybe in our culture um, that we can get a sense of like, that, that the way their culture was is like sports teams. Um, because I was, uh, my JV year, I was about five, six and weighed about the same what I do now at six, two. Um, so put that together. But um, I was slower. You were chunky. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I've got feelings. Um, uh, so I, I was slower, right? I was slower than, and we had to do these sprints and you had to do them within certain time frame. And uh, I didn't make that time a lot of times. And so we had to keep running. The whole team, yeah. The whole team until we got it done in time, until I did basically. But, uh, but you know what? I thought to myself, man, if I were them, I would be cussing at me, man. Like I would be, because we were spent, right? We got running and running and running. That is not what I got from my teammates. Mm -hmm. My teammates were like, come on, let's go. We got it. You can do this. And it was this collective team effort thing yeah. that even though they were having to run more <laughs> because of me, they, they, would, they never let me know that in any way, shape, or form. In fact, yeah. they were encouraging me, let's go. Come on, you got, let's go. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's one way yeah. where we can kind of sense what this yeah. was like. Yeah, absolutely. Military is another modern day example. Yeah. No man left behind, yeah. right? In fact, they would strip away their own identity. They were a group identity. And that is very much how the ancient uh, Eastern perspective would have been. So there's a quote that I read in, in a book that I thought was so beautiful and something to meditate on. But it said this, the Holy Spirit indwells the group in a way that the spirit does not indwell the individual. And so I, I, I read that and kind of skimmed by it. And then I went back and read it and just started meditating Can you read that on again? it. The spirit indwells the group or community in a way that the spirit does not indwell the individual. In other words, the spirit is at work in and through the community in a different way than he is in the individual. So it is essential for us to come together. And we know this, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst, right? We know the power of community worship, but that's supposed to ring true in our everyday lives. We're supposed to be united and together every moment of every day to bring the mission forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we often kind of miss out on mm -hmm. as a result. Now, there is a, a bit of a tension in play here that I do wanna call out. Because scripture would advocate for doing what is right, regardless of what the collective says, okay? Mm -hmm. So it would certainly promote that. However, it would say to do it in a way to where it brings the community with you. Yeah. So you are supposed to be somebody who changes the community as a whole to go in the right direction. It's not like, oh, they're doing wrong, I'm going this way. Mm -hmm. It's no, come on, let's go, let's get this right, let's move in, in a direction together. So I think that's an, an interesting one to think about. Jesus... Jesus, yeah, kind of did that really well all the time. Yeah. One last piece of this, and then we'll get into the next yeah. one. But I think this is a big one as we read in Scripture. Even the idea of conversion. 
was something that was seen through a, a communal lens. So today, in, in our viewpoint, it's a very individual thing. We even have a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's very individualistic, right? But in their culture, it would have been a community experience. They, they adhere to their elders. They listen to wise counsel. Um, uh, somebody in the Asian part of the world said this, if my father says Jesus is Lord, I know this to be true. So like they would conform as a community. If this is what the elders are saying, this is how we will believe. And this is why we see things like household conversions throughout the book of Acts, right? It's not just one person, it's like a whole household. We are believing that Jesus is Lord. And, uh, and so it's a, I think it's a really beautiful yeah, concept to consider. we have decided. Yeah, we have decided, yeah. All right, let's get into the last one. Um, and this is a kind of a complex one, but uh, I'm still kind of pondering yeah, yeah. this one myself. Yeah. But it's an interesting one to consider, and we do see it very clearly in Scripture. This is called honor, shame, culture. And uh, this is something that's very, very different from how we view things. And so hopefully we can break it down in a clear way. Um, but l- this is an offshoot of the collectivist mentality. So uh, again, when we talk about community mindset, in their everyday lives, it was the community that set the standard of living. So they would agree upon what is right, what is good, or what is wrong, and what is bad. And then the community would hold one another accountable to those things, okay? And so if you did something wrong, or if you did something bad, you would receive open shame for that uh, amongst all of the community. If you did something right, or if you did something good, you would receive open honor. And that was like their North Star. That's how they knew what was right and what was wrong. All of that was done through external factors. Now, something to keep in mind in a collectivist uh, society, privacy is not really a thing. Yeah, I was just thinking that. So uh, even as you think about that, that's tough because we have a lot of private times where we can do our own things. For them, it was very different. There was uh, an Indonesian missionary who moved there from the States and, and spent many years there. And he said one of the biggest things he had to adjust to is the idea that the only private space he had was his bedroom. The rest of his house was literally open to the community. So he would come outside of his bedroom in the morning and people from the community would just be hanging out or eating. Complete strangers would just be in his home hanging out and eating. It was just open to the community. So you didn't really have a private life. You were almost always with somebody or with a group of people. In other words, you're constantly being held accountable by the community to hold to what is right or what is wrong. Mm -hmm. All of that's done externally. For us, we internalize all of that. We have these agreed upon rights and wrongs, at least generally, but then we internalize that. And so if we do something wrong, we feel a sense of guilt or we feel a sense of of grief or sorrow because we've done something wrong. If we do something right, we feel good, we feel fulfilled, we feel joyful. And and again, most of that is internal. In fact, a lot of us would say, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I care what I think about myself, Mm. right? And so we internalize all of those feelings. But, But in the ancient East, it would have been very different to a degree that we can't even really comprehend. Like, let me see if I can explain this. Like eating in my living room when you're, yeah. Well, like, for instance, you and I think of truth as objective. It's either objectively true or it's not. But if there was something that we thought was objectively true, um, they would only know that based off of how the community is responding. So just as an extreme example, we think objectively it's true that you shouldn't murder somebody. But if somebody in a community culture murdered somebody and didn't receive open shame, they would assume they did something well. They assumed, 
I'm good. I'm good to go. And we actually see examples of that in scripture. Mm -hmm. So community accountability is absolutely essential to keep people on a good and right path. Yeah, it's like a constant, your life has got a constant sounding board. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think about with the way that we do internalize and then the guilt and the shame that we put upon ourselves or the things that we think, you know, uh, we internalize it, we internalize it, and then it builds, and then it builds. And and, um, how how much, you know, we are dealing with anxiety and how much we are dealing with depression and we are dealing with these things that seem to be mm-hmm. growing um, and increasing throughout our culture, how different that might be if we were just more open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things, um, you know, one of the, the things that I struggle with the most, uh, you know, as far as my, my Achilles heel, my sin that, that I struggled with the most um, it was when I confessed and brought it from dark to light that all of a sudden I was liberated from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's something about the light and the openness. Yeah. If you keep it hidden, if you keep it secret, if you keep it in the dark, then, then not much good's going to happen from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we shine a light to it, we confess it, we open it up, and we mm-hmm. live more communally in that way. Yeah. Um, the, the liberation that comes from that. Yeah. See, sin for them was not an internal thing. Sin for them was an external thing that influenced the community. So if I sin, that's not simply a reflection of me. That's a reflection of the community. We're off course somewhere because I have done wrong. Mm. And so that's why we see language in the Bible about how one can kind of spoil the whole right? It can kind of affect the whole because that's very much how they saw it. So if somebody sinned, it's incumbent upon me to bring that to their attention so that as a community, we can make sure we are in the right place. We're reflecting God in the right way. Mm -hmm. So all of it was just seen through a communal way. That's why even in like 1 John, it talks about how we can ask for forgiveness on behalf of somebody else because it's ultimately about the collective and we wanna make sure we're going in the right place as a unit. That's also why the idea of judgment We understand that very differently in our modern West compared to them. Judgment to them was kind of a good thing because it's putting us on the right track. We're holding one another accountable. For us, it feels like heavy and like you're calling me out for my stuff because we see that very individualistic. But if we see through the communal lens, it it makes much more sense. It's been a common uh, topic in our life group, actually, that that we tend to go back and forth on. Um, But yeah, like if you come, if we all come from that mentality of it's about the community um, and the good of the community and that we're, we're on the right track. It's, it's a lot easier to receive that, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that it's, it's out of love and that it's for the, the unity and the community as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of, I think we all know the phrase saving face. Like we know what that means, right? Like you're, you're gonna be looked at in a certain way and so I wanna be approved by the people around me so I'm gonna save face. That was literally how they lived everyday life. Like every moment of every day, I wanna save face because what my community thinks of me matters because I'm reflective of, of the whole. So like what's interesting is if you read the story of Jesus through an individualistic lens, you miss out on a lot of things. Like for instance, the ultimate reason why they killed Jesus was because of this honor-shame society. Because Jesus openly uh, was shaming the religious leaders at the time because he was saying things that went against how they believed. And ultimately, we even see scriptures where they didn't know how to respond to him. And if you don't know how to respond to somebody in a a public setting, you've just been shamed. 
And so that is what led to them going after Jesus. We gotta renew our honor. And so we're gonna do this by killing this person who has shamed us. So like, it's, it's interesting how this kind of infects the whole biblical narrative and how we see it. Yeah, good stuff. Anything else on that one? No, I, I think that's it. Um, there are so many other ideas yeah. we could get into, and I wish we had time to really dig into these things, like um, the patriarchal society and how yeah. we read scripture and, and how the setting is very much that, where it's different from our Western culture. We see where there are really common virtues that we hold to today that they didn't hold to back then, and so it kind of confuses us on how we're supposed to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something to continue to dig into, to talk with your friends and family and life groups about, because there's a lot here that's, that's really good.